8, uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 8. So we're going to have a look. It'll be on the screens. And we're going to explore why Christmas is so significant that it changes the battle with this dragon. It changes the tide of the battle. As we've already alluded to, 2020 has been the year where we have felt the weight of death, disease and darkness. And um, we believe as Christians that something significant happened. And in, in the manger, there is a baby, fiercer still, fiercer still, the love within the manger. So let's read from Luke chapter 2. I'm reading from the NIV. Watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. So it's that last line that we want to focus on this morning. What the angels proclaim is that on earth, there is peace for those of whom God's favor rests. I know about you, that is as a big claim, as a big statement in the Bible, that on earth there is peace for those on whom God's favor rests. And that is what we want to focus on. You know, for me, I, I've grown up in church. You know, I've been here for most Christmases. I've believed in Jesus since a young age. And my personality is usually like quite calm, quite composed, under pressure. Um, if any of you are familiar with the Enneagram, I'm a nine, the peacemaker. Um, nothing really sort of usually like quite calm exterior, maybe not so much internally, but usually quite don't show a whole lot. And then 2020 hit, and this year has been one of stress and anxiety like no other. I don't know if you've felt that, um, but for me, I'm sure we could go around the room and just share stories of how this year has affected us. But this morning, Time and time again this year, that is what I've experienced, that there is peace on earth. And it's more than a moment of peace. You know, a babysitter can give you a moment of peace. It's more than a practice of, of peace. You know, anyone can show you a way to get some peace. You know, do this yoga thing or have meditation time or whatever it is. Like anyone can give you a manual for DIY peace. Jesus came to give us himself. To be a person of peace, the prince of peace, to be in a relationship with us of peace. And so that is why later on in his life he said, Matthew 11, come to me. He didn't say go and do this. He didn't say just block out these few labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. I'll give you peace. So I firmly believe that Jesus can lead us to a life of peace. And there are three reasons why. And for those of you who are neat and like your alliterations, here's your Christmas present. There's fulfillment, there is forgiveness, and there is a future. Okay? Fulfillment, forgiveness, 
future. So the first thing, we can have a life of peace because Jesus is the fulfillment of promises and prophecies long ago. Our searching is complete, our waiting is done. You see, the birth of Jesus didn't happen in a vacuum. There was a long story that built up to this point. For hundreds of years, the Israelites were waiting for a Messiah. They were waiting for God's anointed leader. There were prophecies and promises of which many people were aware of. And it's pretty simple. If Jesus didn't fulfill one of those, there would be no peace surrounding his birth. There would be questioning. There would be doubt. There would be, I don't think this is it. In fact, Josh McDowell, who's a Christian apologist, he says the Old Testament, written over a 1,000-year period, contains nearly 300 references to the coming Messiah. All of these were fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and they established a solid confirmation of his credentials as Messiah. And we don't have time to sort of go through all 300 as much as I would love to this morning, but what I did want to look at quickly was to see how the first people who encountered Jesus responded. How did the first people who encountered him respond? Think about the angels. It says, suddenly, suddenly a multitude of angels joined in and praised God. It's like they were almost bursting at the scene, waiting. Is it, when's our moment? When can we get on stage? And suddenly they burst on and they praised Jesus. What about the shepherds? The shepherds were society's outcasts. They were dirty, rugged men who lived outside the city. So they were looked down upon. And it is interesting that they're the first people that the angels go to. Doesn't that show us something of the heart of God? That he goes to the shepherds and they go into the town. They find it exactly as they said. And they go around telling people what they have heard. And they return glorifying God and praising him. There is no sense of like, they believe they've found the one and they return and they praise God. A few weeks later, in the temple, we, in, Jesus is encountered by Simeon. He's a religious, devout man. At the end of his life, who had been told, you're going to see the Messiah. And when he sees this baby, what does he do? This is the one. I can now die in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation. He rejoices. The wise men, the wise men probably came a year or two after Jesus' birth, despite the fact that it looks nice on a nativity scene. It probably doesn't work out that way. They traveled long and far. They're revered men who travel and they rejoice exceedingly. It says they bow down, they give their gifts and they worship. For all of them, there was no sense of doubt. No sense of, are you sure this is it? A baby in a manger. It didn't make sense, but they had peace because they knew that this was the one whom had been promised. And the reason that should give us peace is because if God is faithful to fulfill those promises, then he is faithful to fulfill the other promises that we read throughout Scripture. It's the pattern all throughout the Bible. God speaks and then he acts. God promises and then he fulfills. And so if he did it then, he would do it again. And that is why we have peace as Christians. All throughout the Bible, there are promises where God says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Nothing will separate me, you from his love. 
God will lead us home. He will give us joy and hope. He will be our guide. He will judge. He will end evil. You know, he will be our wonderful counsellor. You know, with that verse we see every Christmas, wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's who God is and that is who God promises to be. And he is faithful. So we can have peace on earth because he fulfills his promises. And one of those promises is given by the angel to Joseph. In Matthew 1, and it was at the end of that video, it says, She, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so the second reason we can have peace on earth is because Jesus forgives our sin. We read before that on earth it was peace to those of whom God's favour rests. Or some other translations say, with whom he is pleased. And I wonder today at the end of 2020 whether God looks at our earth and is pleased with humanity. After all the violence, the fighting, the injustice, the ridicule, the riots, the distrust, the disharmony, I wonder if God looks at our world and whether he's pleased. I mean, none of us are pleased, I don't think. Slavery continues, poverty continues. Like our world is not as it should be. And the Bible calls the root of this problem sin. And along with that dragon, they wreak havoc on our world because sin is a virus that infects everyone. And its side effects continue on. But the hope of Christmas is that there is a cure. And his name is Jesus, for he shall save people from their sins. You see, Jesus is the one that is pleasing to the Father. Jesus is the one who earns favor in God's sight. And he comes to earth so that he can become sin for us. In 2 Corinthians, it says, He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, who knew no sin, becomes sin so that in him, in him we might become right with God. We might become pleasing in his sight. You see, a few months ago we we talked about grace here and I talked about favour. That favour throughout the Bible is always something that is won. Favour is always something that is earned. But the beauty of Christmas is that you don't have to be the one that earns it. Jesus performs in your place and because of your position, you receive a reward. I think I've got a photo here. I don't know. This is like a super niche example, so we'll see how we go. But does anyone know who that is? Not even Hoff knows. That's how you know. That is Devontae Kasok. He's an NBA player. You guys should know him. He's a champion. He just received his ring. Look, I think we've got the next slide that's got his ring. He just got a championship ring. These things are like so cool. I don't know how much they're worth, but I feel like a lot. The top untwists, and that's where you get like the banners on the inside. It's got a special tribute to Kobe. Ooh. Anyway, Devonte, I'm sure he's a great guy. But guess what? This season, or the last season just gone, he played one game for nine minutes. 
He played the last game of the season, which meant nothing. All the other players were arrested, and he got nine minutes. He got a ring. He didn't perform. He, was on a posi- he got a position on the team, and the analogy kind of falls down because I'm sure that he earned it. I'm sure he's a great guy. But stick with me for a moment. He, does, he, got a, he has a position on the team, and because of the performance of LeBron James and Anthony Davis, he gets rewarded. That is the picture of grace this morning. That because of your position, you receive the reward of someone else's performance. And the position is this. The position is one of reception. Do you choose to receive the gift or do you choose to reject the gift? You can receive the performance of someone else if you so choose to receive it. This is what it says in John chapter 1. It says, but to all who did receive him. And how do we receive him? By believing in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. We receive him by believing in his name. And his name is Jesus. Why? Because he's our saviour. What kind of saviour? A saviour who saves us, that kind of king this morning. Will you receive that gift? Will you believe that he is the answer to humanity's problem? Because no one else seems to measure up. I don't see any other good solutions being offered. And I believe that Jesus is the one, the one who was promised, our saviour who saves us from our sins. He is the one worth following. And so in Romans it says, the wages of sin is death. The reality is if you follow a sinful path long enough, it'll lead to destruction and death. But the free gift of God that he asks you and invites you to receive this morning is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That if you follow his path, it'll lead to life everlasting. And that is our third and final point this morning, is that there is a future for those who believe in Jesus. A future that is secure, a future that is bought, and therefore we can have peace. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I used to always read the end of the book first. Was anyone else like that? I just always did that. Maybe it says something about my controlling personality or something like that. But I just wanted to know how it ended. And you know, and when you turn to the end of the Bible, when you look at the end in Revelation 20, it says that the dragon is defeated. That's the picture. It literally says a dragon who is the cast down and instead a white knight comes and rescues God's people. And he brings them into his kingdom and he says, it is done, it is finished. We live in perfect paradise. There is hope. And we talked about that on Sunday, that the future ahead is worth waiting for. And so we can have peace knowing that we are right with God. We can have peace in the future that is secure and is worth waiting for. In Hebrews 4, it says this, So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. So that's, you know, we've been reading through Hebrews as a church and, and this is where it gets to this point where it says there's a day ahead. There's a day ahead of rest. You know, I believe in heaven there will still be creativity. 
there'll still be craftsmanship and cooking and there'll still be, you know, great culture making, but there will be no toil. There'll be no labor. No more laboring against injustice. No more laboring for loving and healthy relationships. No more laboring to put food on the table. No more laboring for protection or safety or comfort. No more laboring over right and wrong. No more laboring over mental health or physical ailments. No more laboring over... What a beautiful hope that is. That there will be complete peace. And so it says, let us strive to enter that rest. Let us strive to keep going, to hold on. The warning being that those who disobey, those who choose to go their own way won't enter. But the invitation is simple. For we enter that rest, it says in verse 3, we enter that rest by believing. For we who have believed enter that rest. It's not your performance, but it's your position. And that is why we can have peace. Because it's not based on our performance, but it's based on our position. Will you receive the gift of God? See, Christmas morning, I believe, is a simple invitation. God invites you to believe. God invites you to keep believing. God invites you to re-believe. And biblical belief is very simple. I believe biblical belief is best put like this. It's putting all of your eggs in one basket. It's putting your faith and trust in one thing, and that one thing, that one person being Jesus. See, it's common nowadays to treat spirituality like a bit of a buffet meal. Take a bit of this, take a bit of that. Oh, my friend's doing that. I might try that. Oh, you know, that kind of looks a bit good, so I'll take a bit of that. But my experience from Foodstar when I was a 13-year-old is when you gorge yourself at a buffet meal, you feel very sick. But instead, Jesus says, come to me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Your searching is done. Your waiting is complete. Come to me. And there is peace in that. There is peace in not having to try different things. There is peace in not having to go to different places. But there is peace in knowing that actually Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus is faithful to fulfill his promises. Jesus forgives us for our sins and Jesus has a future for us that is secure. So this morning, I invite you to believe. I invite you to re-believe. I invite you to keep believing that Jesus is who he says he is. And this Christmas, may we find peace in that. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much this morning that we can just pause from our busy schedules, we can pause from our difficult day and we can just ponder the great truth, the great gift that is your son. Your son who fulfills the promises, your son who forgives our sin, your son who secures a future for us. God, may we know and trust you again this morning. God, we give you thanks and praise that you speak to our hearts. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would sink the truth deep within. God, that we may open our hands and receive the gift of all gifts this morning. And know your peace.
In Jesus' name, amen.